Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Brianna, for uh, reading our scripture today, uh, the passage that we'll be studying today. It comes from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. As you know, Matthew is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, you may also recall that Matthew was a Roman worker or a Roman employee. He was Jewish, but he was a tax collector for the Roman government, and the Roman government... Uh, occupied Israel back in the day of Jesus. His position required that he be a person that was well-versed in language and well-versed in numbers or accounting. So he was an educated individual. Um, he was fluent in both Arabic, Greek, and Hebrew. Um, and what a wonderful story of how Jesus was walking through Capernaum one day and he saw Matthew inside his tax booth and Jesus simply looked at Matthew with what I can only imagine in my mind, these piercing dark eyes and he looked at Matthew and made eye contact with him and he said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew was touched by that. And so he became one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. And he began to follow him from that day. Well, Matthew in his gospel, if you read chapters 5 to 7, he records the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke uh, on the seashore sea of the Sea of Galilee. And um, so we're going to take a section of this uh, middle of the Gospel of Matthew this morning and we are going to look at this subject of prayer. And Jesus gives us a wonderful guide in these passages of how to properly pray, how to properly ask the Lord for our petitions, and what I love about Jesus, he was the master teacher. He could take a complex situation 
and he could bring it down to a level that was so easy to understand and applied so much common sense to it. And we see that Jesus does this in the verses that Brianna read for us a few minutes ago. He gives us some do's and he gives us some don'ts. And I don't know about you, but I learn better when I have something that is practical and applicable to me. For uh, example, uh, in retirement, I have renewed my passion for the game of golf. And I will tell you that golf is a, uh, it's a weird sport because it's an individual sport. And when you mess up, you have nobody to blame but yourself. And so I have really earnestly began to try and improve my golf game. And so I've reached out to some golfers that are much more talented and knowledgeable than me. And they're giving me a list of do this and don't do that. And so what we're trying to do this morning is we're going to use Jesus' teaching of the do's and the don'ts around prayer. And we're going to build us a framework around them this morning. It will not be a, a deep or theological study. And it will not be anything that you have not already heard. But what we will do is we will emphasize the importance of prayer both collectively as a church family and individually as individual um, believers. Um, as we move forward here at Infinity Church um, with our ministry and with our growth, Pastor Philip mentioned our growth in his video announcements. And it is truly by the grace of God that we grow. It, it is nothing that any pastor, uh, youth pastor, or elders, or teachers, or leaders do. But it is only through the grace of God that Infinity Church is growing, both in spirit, in numerically, and financially. And so we want to bathe everything that we do in prayer because it is vitally important that we collectively as a group of believers associated and identified here with Infinity Church, it is critically important that we pray to Christ for a path forward, for wisdom to make some critically important decisions and make some commitments for our growth. And I will tell you, having served with our pastor for four years now, I can tell you that his heart is ministry. His heart is not more buildings or more parking spaces or more uh, uh, activities here. His heart is for ministry. Uh, but we are aware that we are reaching a limit here with what we can do with our current building. And so we want to make sure that we wisely match up our ministry, which will always be first, and then our physical buildings, which help us in carrying out that ministry. Um, I can assure you that your leadership will always prioritize ministry over buildings. But, uh, but pray with us, pray for us, that we over these next several months make the decisions that the Lord has chosen for us to do. You know, it is recorded in all of Christianity 
that whenever God does a great work like He is doing here among Infinity Church and in this community, I might add, that it is always preceded by a season of prayer. If we expect God to do anything through us to affect and impact this community for Christ, then we are going to have to get on our knees and we're going to have to pray that God would do that through us in His own power. And I believe we are at a, a turning point here at Infinity Church. Um, God has been so gracious to us and we'll share more of that with you on Wednesday night. But we're now at a point where uh, we, we need to step out in obedience to God for the ability to continue to provide ministry and impact our community for the Lord. Um, E.M. Bounds was a clergyman and he was an author uh, from, uh, in the 1800s. And I like what he said about doing a great work for the Lord. He says this, The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. And that's where I think Infinity Church is right now. We are on the brink of doing something even greater for the Lord through our community with the staff, with the leadership, with the church family that's been assembled here. And I believe that uh, it is always important for us to be on our knees as we approach that. So, Will, if you'll put the next slide up there for me. I wanted to share this slide with you. This is more of a personal um, illustration for me, but I, I want to share it with you because I think it is so applicable to our message today. Many of you know that my father was a Baptist minister and he uh, served in several churches over a period of 47 years. My father passed away in March of 2016. And um, my mother, several months after his passing, she shared with me some of his sermon outlines that he had preached. He was a young man uh, who had just graduated from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And his first church was Standing Springs Baptist Church, which called him to be their full-time pastor in 1961. And so in 1963... My father on an old-fashioned typewriter. Y'all remember those, the old-fashioned typewriter, and you'd do that carriage across like that, and you'd type. Do you remember that? I see some nodding out there. My father typed this message on his old typewriter that Wanda and I still have. And he typed this message, and it is the exact same scripture that I am speaking out of God's Word today, Matthew chapter 6. And it is on uh, the power of prayer. And I thought it was so encouraging. This, this message was preached in a little country church 60 years ago. Folks, that's two generations ago, okay? Just to put the context around this. My father felt it was important then to preach on prayer. And I feel just as convicted and important, it is important today to preach on prayer. 
You see, prayer transcends decades and it transcends generations. And it is important for us to examine our prayer life and it is vitally important that we become very serious collectively as a church so that God can continue to work through us, in us, and with us to affect His community here. I got to looking at my dad's notes and uh, my, my mother shared these with me. And if you, you might not be able to read it, but you can see where my dad has typed his points and his uh, uh, points of discussion. Uh, but then when you get down to the bottom, what is really interesting to me is I guess somewhere later in that week, the Lord put some additional thoughts into my father's mind about the message. And you can see his handwriting at the very bottom. And I thought what he has written at the very bottom, I wanted to share with you because it is so illustrative of what we are embarking on here at Infinity Church. But he, he says this, you remember the great event at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, filled the disciples, filled them with power, with words. Peter preached um, and uh, uh, many were baptized that day. Well, what, what we don't realize or what we sometimes skip over in God's Word is the disciples prayed for 10 days before Peter got up to speak. Peter got up and he spoke for a few hours. Now, I'm not going to speak that long today, but, but he probably spoke for two, maybe two and a half hours. And then they baptized converts all day long. So prayer preceded 10 days of seeking God through the Spirit, a few hours of preaching, and all day baptizing. We get our priorities reversed many times, do we not? We, we want to spend three hours in prayer we want to preach for 10 days, and then we expect results. I thought my dad did a wonderful job to emphasize to his flock six decades ago, the priority of prayer never changes. And some six decades later and two generations later, I still submit that prayer precedes anything that we do individually or collectively. So, let's look and, and uh, see how the disciples... Will, you can put the picture back up there. I love this artist rendering of how Jesus may have uh, explained his, to his disciples the power of prayer and how to pray. But the disciples began to understand the power that is unleashed through prayer. They would see their, their Savior, their Master pray, and they would see the power that would come. And so the disciples, being inquisitive men, they asked Jesus, they said, Master, how do we pray? Master, teach us to pray. And so Jesus began to teach the disciples uh, here. And, um, and, and it's, it's a uh, what you do and what you don't do. You remember my, my golf illustration. Well, the same thing can be 
used for a marriage. You know, you always want to be improving your marriage. So you can look at a list of things that you do need to do to improve your marriage, and you can look at a list of things like you don't need to do to improve your marriage. You may want to improve your finances. Again, you can look at a list that says do this with your finances and don't do this. And so Jesus, being the master teacher, he takes this and he begins to share in the passage today uh, the skills that are needed to have a most effective prayer life. Jesus emphasized three points. Will, you can put our outline uh, up there now. So, very simple. I just want to talk a little bit this morning in the time that we have left about how to pray with sincerity, how to pray with simplicity, and how to pray with faith. Let's look back at our passage of Scripture. And I want you to notice in verse number 5 of Matthew chapter number 6, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not, there's our first do not, do not be like the hypocrites. The prayer of a hypocrite is really a prayer of deception, is it not? You see, the hypocrite will pray for the recognition and the praise of men. The hypocrite does not pray with an attitude and a heart of sincerity, but rather a motivation to seek the praise of others. A, a, a hypocrite will want to draw attention to himself. I want to draw attention to myself. I want you to see how knowledgeable I am, how intellectual I am, how many words that I can phrase together. A hypocrite is seeking uh, the attention to himself. Well, Jesus teaches his disciples, don't do that. Don't do that. That is wrong in our prayer life. And so Jesus teaches the disciples, and He's teaching us through His Word this morning. He is teaching us to review our motives for prayer, to search out our heart, and to pray sincere and heartfelt prayers. Do not pray prayers that are self-serving. The hypocrite seeks to be seen, and he seeks to be heard by others. Now, when, we, when Jesus looks at and uses this word hypocrites uh, here as he is teaching his disciples, the thought process here is that uh, there was a group of religious leaders in Jesus' day. They were called Pharisees. You may have heard of the Pharisees. They were the ruling religious Jewish body that oversaw all of the laws and the commandments that the Jewish people lived their lives by. And so these Pharisees had, had worked and earned these places of uh, reverence, if you will, uh, and statue and position in the Jewish religion. They had earned this. And so Jesus is most likely referring to this group called the Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. And what they would do is they would gather near the temple or on a street corner, 
or near the busy market and they would pray multiple times a day. They had their first prayer at 6, the next one at 9, the next one at 12, and their final prayer was at 3 o'clock. And what these Pharisees would do is they would go to these busy places within the cities and they would stand there and they would pray these eloquent, loud, wonderful prayers with all of these words phrased together. And so it is reasoned that Jesus is referring to this practice when he tells the disciples, do not pray like a hypocrite. I want you to notice at the end there of verse 5, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, he says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Wonder what Jesus meant by that comment to the disciples. This is most likely what he meant. Without sincerity in prayer, without truly searching their heart and praying to, to seek Christ and to give honor and glory to Him, but rather to self-worship, to self-center, to self-adulate themselves, Jesus meant that's as good as it's going to get for those hypocrites, for those Pharisees. They will most likely receive the praise of men. They will most likely receive recognition. They will most likely be revered. But that is all they are going to get. They will not have without a sincere heart. They will not have the blessings of an eternal father throughout of all eternity. So as we think about, well, let's pray with sincerity. Let me give you some, some applications here. The hypocrite will deceive his fellow man. He will deceive himself. Many times he will get what he wants. He will be noticed. He will be praised. He will be complimented. But you see, this lack of sincerity goes much deeper than what we see on the surface because Christ can see into the heart. And He sees into the heart that this prayer is inconsiderate, it is fickle, and it is short-lived. An attitude of self-serving praying is nothing more than idolatry and self-worship. You see, the true God is not lifted high and worshipped. But the hypocrite's prayer is to impress men. Seeking recognition and praise, the hypocrite worships himself. Verse number 6. Let's look at verse number 6. Uh, we see the don't pray like the hypocrite, but then what does Jesus tell us there in verse number 6? He gives us a do. He says, but when you pray... Do go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus here is teaching the disciples that when we pray, we don't literally go into a closet and close the door and pray. You can do that. 
I knew uh, a man many, many years ago, and that's what he would do. He would go into a closet. Uh, it was a closet big enough where he could kneel, and he would pray in his closet. That, that's fine. You can do that. My father, uh, for many, many years, uh, was a prayer warrior, and his place of reclusion or seclusion was to go to his study, and he would close the door behind him, and he would get into a prostrate position, and he would pray to the Lord. And he would pray for his church, his family, his wife, his children, his ministry, and, and other things. And so the, the praying position is not what Jesus is emphasizing here. The praying location is not what Jesus is emphasizing here. But what Jesus is emphasizing here is that we close out the world, that we close out the distractions. And hear me on this, this is most important, that we close out our own sinful nature. That's what Jesus is teaching the disciples when they asked him, Father, we see the power of prayer. Teach us, Master, how to pray. And so Jesus is teaching them in this way. I wonder, in your prayer life, how do you pray? Do you have those quick little prayers with the radio going and the cell phone going off? Do you try to get a little quick prayer in during the commercial break on ESPN? I mean, you know, think about this for a moment, okay? Personalize it. Um, pray with sincerity. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20 uh, is a great passage of Scripture. Isaiah the prophet is telling the, the Jewish people, he's saying, Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the door behind you. If we're going to have a successful and a powerful, effective prayer life, it must start with a heart of sincerity. Here Jesus is teaching us that a personal time of prayer in a Christian's life is very important. Billy Graham was quoted as saying this, A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. The second point that we want to talk about and we can uncover from our passage of Scripture this morning is praying with simplicity. So we're going we're gonna to pray with sincerity, not like the hypocrites. Now we're going to pray with simplicity. We don't have to babble on and on with vain repetitions as the Pharisees would do in public. We, Jesus doesn't need all that to hear our prayers. We want to pray with simplicity. Notice verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Here we see Jesus teaching the disciples uh, any contrast a sincere prayer and an insincere prayer, uh, a simple prayer and a not-so-simple prayer. He says, don't, we don't need all of the words and the meaningless repetitions. But Jesus does teach the disciples, and he has a word for us today that we are to keep our prayers genuine and simple. 
You see, prayer in an act of itself is one of persistence. Persistent prayer. A prayer that is daily. A prayer that is disciplined. And a prayer that is intentional. We can do that with simplicity and with sincerity. Let me share a personal illustration with you that happened to me way back in, early in my business career back in the early 1990s. I had taken a new job and um, I was in sales and um, I had gotten off to a wonderful start uh, with my new company. Um, the Lord was blessing. I was honoring Him in my work and in my walk and He was blessing. Well, it came time for the dreaded annual performance review. Have any of you all ever been through an annual performance review? Okay? Alright, so you know what I'm talking about. It's a standardized review that your manager will walk through you. It typically comes toward the end of the year and so you are evaluated on your year's performance and it is also a planning tool for what you can do into the future to continue to be a good employee and a successful and productive employee. My manager's name was Mark Adams. So Mark makes a, uh, an appointment with me. He schedules me to come in to Ennery, South Carolina to his office and we're going to have my annual performance review. Well, you know me. I was very well prepared. I had planned for this and I was actually looking forward to this. And so at that time, I forget what software they were using, but you could be rated three ways. You could be below expectations, you could be meets expectations, and you could be exceeds expectations, and that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be exceeding expectations. And so Mark Adams had about 10 criteria or, or areas of my job function that he's going to rate me on these things. Well, man, I was, I was doing so good. Oh, I was just tearing it up, you all. And I could just see that big raise coming, you know, and that big bonus coming, and I was going to call my wife when I got out of there and say, Baby doll, I got something to tell you. It's so good. Well, then Mark gets over and he gets to this part of communication, okay? And so, you know, with everything, no one's perfect. So I knew that I had opportunities for improvement. I just didn't know where they were going to come from. So Mark tells me, he says, Dan, you're really doing really well, but, but what you need to do is you need to quit talking so much and you need to be more to the point and you need to be more brief in your communication to our marketing managers, to our general manager, to our national sales manager. Imagine that. Me, Dan Perry, given a below expectations because I talk too much. But you know what? I learned from that. I learned from that. And instead of, we, back then we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have laptops, but what we did have is you'd find a pay phone, 
You go, you type in a code uh, there, and it puts you into voicemail. And then every important person in our division had a, had a four-digit code. So you could send a voicemail to one person, or you could send a voicemail to ten people. You could send the same one. You send it on a group. And so um, we had a limit on there of five minutes. And after five minutes, that voicemail cut off. And if you didn't get everything said you needed to say, you had to dial again and go through that again and then continue. I, I hate to admit it, but I was leaving 10 and 12 people like two and three voicemails. So that's 10 to 15 minutes. They're listening to this guy go on and on. And then my accent didn't help much either because I, I worked for a bunch of uh, people in New York. And so, but you know what? I thank Mark Adams for that because, folks, that helped me. That helped me understand that I can use fewer words and still communicate effectively. And I, I can't help but put that application to our prayers today. The length of a prayer is not important. Don't, don't, don't think that you have to enter into your closet of prayer and pray for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, an hour. You can do that. But simplicity is what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. There is no need to babble on and on with vain repetitions. The sincerity and the simplicity by which we pray is a key indicator of our heart. I want you to turn with me. If you, if this is just too good. I'm not going to uh, overlook this. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings is over in the Old Testament. It's before you get to Chronicles. You've got to go back over there, but it's worth it. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 36 through 39. You know the story of the prophets of Baal. You know Elijah, God's man, okay? You know all of that story, all right? Well, the prophets of Baal had put an oxen up on this uh, altar, and so it was really a competition between the God of Baal, Baal, the God, and the true one Jehovah, Yahweh, God, okay? And all of the, the Israelites were viewing uh, this. And so you know the story. The prophets of Baal, they began to pray early that morning. Well, they prayed on and on. They wailed. They flopped. They leaped all over that altar. They even began to cut themselves. And they had to take a break at noon because if they hadn't, they had to cut themselves so much they'd bled to death. So they took a break at noon, and then they started their praying again in the afternoon. Guess what? Their God never heard them. They babbled, they prayed, they flopped, they jumped around, they cut themselves. They never got Baal's attention. But now notice, when all that was said and done, notice what God's man, the prophet Elijah, did. He prayed a sincere and a simple prayer and one of very few words. And I want you to listen to the motivation behind Elijah's prayer and see the power of the Lord when he answered that prayer. 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, 
the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. This is after the prophets of Baal had given up. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now notice this, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And notice this, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now that was a simple, sincere, and yet powerful prayer that Elijah prayed. John Bunyan, a Christian writer and preacher back in the 16th century, listen to what he says. He says, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than to have words without a heart. Did you get that? It's all about our heartfelt, sincere, and simple prayers. Acts 12.5, the church was earnestly praying for the release of Peter. And I love this. Ecclesiastes, we'll finish up here in just a couple of minutes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. If you've got a pen... On that piece of paper that's in front of you, write this verse down. You want to see this verse from Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Notice what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. He says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Boy, that helps put it into perspective for me. Lastly, not only do we need to pray with sincerity, not only do we need to pray with simplicity, but we need to pray with faith. Notice verse number 8 right here uh, in, in our scripture. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Have you ever found that passage to be... Um, somewhat, um, not, not concerning, but um, sort of a, an, an, an idea or a question there. If the Father knows what I need, then what is the value and the purpose for me to verbalize that in prayer to Him? Well, Jesus understood this very, very well. And, and so Jesus answers this. So, Key learnings here in the act of praying with sincerity and simplicity and faith, we feel our need for God. You see that self-independence, that self-service, that self-focus, that self-centeredness in prayer, it has a way of melting away and we really get down to what is inside our heart. And that is a heart that longs for something more. That is a heart that longs for God. It's a place that only God can feel. 
And so prayer, we, when we pray, we sense our inadequacies and we sense our humanness for something greater, for something higher, for something more powerful. What we're praying for is for someone to intervene in our lives. And folks, that is faith. That is praying with faith. Um, there is a huge difference between a dear Lord prayer and an oh God prayer. And you've probably been there. And you know the difference. You've gotten that phone call. You've gotten that diagnosis. You've gotten a call from overseas from a son that's in trouble. You know what the difference is. Oh, God. That's when we learn to pray with faith, isn't it? Wanda and I went through a very difficult time in 2018. It was like life just completely enveloped on itself. It wasn't one major crisis. It wasn't two major crises. It was three major life crises that converged all within a period of about 60 days. And Wanda and I prayed a prayer. And this prayer was three words long. Only three words. But it was prayed with sincerity. It was prayed with simplicity. And it was prayed with faith. And do you know what that prayer was? Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. And Jesus did help us. Through prayers of faith, we align our hearts with the will and the work of God. And that's what praying with faith means. That's what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, your father knows your needs before you ask them. But the father still wants to hear you verbalize those needs. He wants you to draw close to him through contact with him, through communication, heartfelt, sincere, simple, faithful prayers. And then notice in verse 9 through 13, and we're done. Jesus gives the model prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. This is a wonderful Lord's prayer that we recite so often. But it contains the key elements of any prayer. A prayer of praise, the will of God, daily needs, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of others, deliverance from temptation. Notice carefully in verse number 9, Jesus says, This is how you should pray, not what you should pray. Do you, do you see that? This is how you should pray. This is the model. But this is not what you should pray. You see, we have to personalize our prayers. I can't pray for you. Pastor Philip, we can pray with you, but we can't pray for you. You need to go to the Father with sincerity, simplicity, and faith and personalize your prayers so that the Lord can work through you. Our prayers are different and they are unique, but they contain the same elements. We're finished. And all God's people said, Amen. Remember that performance management that you got all those many years ago. 
Don't be so long-winded. I love to tell stories, and I love to hear a good story. Let's finish up this way. While the hypocrite was gaining the praise of men in the public squares and in front of the temple and the synagogue, he received, he was receiving his greatest reward at that moment. And that is the reward of recognition of men, the praise of men, and the compliments of men. But guess what? That was as good as it was going to get for that Pharisee. Because of an insincere heart, a heart full of himself, full of his pride, he would no longer be part of the everlasting Father throughout all of eternity. However, the simple, sincere, faithful, praying man will evermore continue to receive a reward from the everlasting Father. I'm going to ask the band, if they will, to make their way on up to the uh, podium here and lead us in one last song. Um, the invitation is going to be very simple this morning. Many of you will see me come to the prayer altar at the end of a service, and you'll see me pray. And you may think, man, that, that Dan, he's got a lot of problems because he's at that prayer altar all the time, man. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of problems, but it's, that's not why I'm at the prayer altar. I'm at the prayer altar, and this is the prayer I'm praying. I'm praying for our church family. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for wisdom for our leadership and for our pastor as we go forward. And I am praying for the Holy Spirit to feel free to move among us that are here today. Okay? And so what I'm going to do is, uh, as the band leads us, I'm going to go to the prayer altar and I'm going to pray. And when I finish praying, I'm going to stand right over there. And if you would like, I'll, I'll be more than happy to pray with you uh, and to pray for you. And the band will lead us in this song. Uh, so if you would, stand and let's pray uh, before the band begins to lead us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of prayer. Oh, my Lord, thank you, Jesus, for the power of prayer. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would feel free to move among us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.